Welcome back to the Greg Steer Youth Ministry Podcast, and it's a special series. We're doing a mini-series on Unlikely Fighter, uh, my upcoming book. Super excited about it. Releases November 9th, and um, just tells a lot of crazy stories of my life growing up and uh, the radical gospel transformation of my family. And I am super excited to have uh, our guest today, uh, Ralph Yankee Arnold. If you've heard me speak at all, you've probably heard me use the word Yankee, the name Yankee. It's a nickname. And uh, uh, Yankee is still preaching the gospel, uh, advancing the gospel, is on YouTube, has got tons of views on YouTube and his uh, different sermons, preaches a lot about the gospel, a lot on prophecy, but whatever he says is solid. And uh, I thank God for the heritage that uh, God gave to me uh, by being trained by uh, Ralph Yankee Arnold. And uh, I'm just going to call you Yankee if that's okay, because that's what I'm used to. That would be fine. So thanks so much for being a part of this. Greg, this is really an honor because of your new book coming out and to be able to talk to you and all of those people that know you. You have uh, done a good job. You do your work and a lot of groundwork. And I know that you're proud of the book, and you ought to be. And uh, you put a lot of time and effort into it, and I think it's going to be a great blessing to a lot of people. I hope it'll be a bestseller. That'd be awesome. That'd be great. Well, Yankee, you know, um, I had 22 chapters in the book. The first 21 happened before I turned 16 years of age. So you you become a central character to the book because you're the one that led the majority of my family members to Christ and to commitment to deeper commitments to Christ. And really kind of your entrance into my family came through my uncle Jack. Um, and so just tell the story as, as you remember it about, um, why you went to Jack's house, uh, who Jack was and, uh, how you got into his house, and what happened? Well, it was back in about 1972, three, somewhere into there, that I started the uh, the church there in the old Enterprise Grange building on 72nd and Sims in Arvada, Colorado. And I started working mainly with the young people and getting a lot of teenagers to come out, and they trusted Christ as Savior. And we had it where you had to be a teenager. You had to be at least 13 years of age. Well, there's two girls that came, and they were not supposed to be there, but that was Tammy and Jackie. And they both trusted Christ as Savior and then began to put pressure on me to go talk to their dad. Now, I didn't know who their dad was. I found out later, yes, it was Jack Matthias. And uh, I said, well, one of these days I'll get by there. I really hadn't planned on it. But they kept bugging me about it. And finally, I told Bob, I says, um, we may need to go by there and see him one of these days. And uh, he said, well, I'll go with you. So we got in the car, and uh, we went and to see. Yankee, just as a quick aside note, uh, Bob Mathias, I mean, Bob Daly, uh, yep. grew up. I didn't realize this until I did research for the book. He grew up with my uncles and my ma. They were close family friends, so he knew Jack really well. And so it all made sense for him to go with you in the car. He was willing to go, and um, he knew Jack very well. He was describing some of the things about uh, Jack that uh, made me a little apprehensive about whether I should or shouldn't. 
you know, I haven't been long on this earth, but I did plan on living a little bit longer. <laughs> and uh, the last person I wanted to make upset was a guy named Jack. So we went and we parked across the street and uh, I got out. I thought Bob was going to get out with me, but uh, he says, I'll stay here and pray for you. And I thought, oh boy. And uh, he told me later that it was because uh, he didn't want their friendship to be a hindrance to him. And um, so I really don't know. But I went to the door, and I do remember being met face-to-face with the biggest dog I've ever seen. It was, I don't know the dog name. I thought it was Lobo, but I'm not no, sure. No, it was Lobo. It, Still to this day, was, the biggest German shepherd. I mean, he was, yeah. a, I'm six foot tall, and that dog was looking right at me with that, all the teeth showing. And it scared me to death. So they had to get a hold of the dog and put him in another room, and then finally they let me in the house. And uh, when I went over to the table, uh, Jack went back, but he was a little hard of hearing, kind of like I am sometimes. And the TV was loud. So he sat down there first, and I went over to the table and started talking with Erlene. And Erlene, well, I talked real soft and slow, but Jack couldn't hear what was being done. So I didn't want to tell him to turn the TV down, but he slowly turned the TV down. Then he walked over there, and he kind of eavesdropped on what we're saying. Next thing you know, he's sitting down there. And it wasn't long before Jack trusted Christ the Savior and Earlene. And I didn't really think too much about it until I started hearing even more stories later. Then I realized how my life had really been in jeopardy. But um, it's a wonderful story. And I began to have contests at the church. And Jack got involved. And he knew a lot of people. He knew, he knew some raw material. And these were not church-going people. And so he began to invite them out. And so I had a contest. Whoever brought out the most in a month's time would get a, an old Schofield reference Bible, just like mine. And he worked hard. And he won the contest. And I put it in the flyleaf of his Bible. I believe it was 250 people that he had brought out. And uh, most of those people he got out, they trusted Christ as Savior. So there was a lot of people who trusted the mm. Lord. And then there was one person that he had uh, reached and uh, I can't. I think his last name was Hatch, but I'm not real sure that. Uh, uh, anyway, I he 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 died, and I was doing this funeral, and uh, Mrs. Helen Hatch trusted Christ as Savior at that meeting, that funeral, and she started coming to our church, and she became our bookstore lady, and there was just a lot of people that was greatly influenced because of, you know, getting Jack to trust Christ as Savior. So you know, so, it was a wonderful experience. So you you led Jack to Christ, and I know he went the next day to the meatpacking place where he worked, and he shared the gospel with Thumper, uh, Coxie, who Coxies. trusted Christ as his savior. He says, "You got to come over and tell my whole, you know, Italian Catholic family this message." And so Jack went over there every night for two weeks. Armed with nothing but Ephesians 2, 8, 9 and the hand gesture, which you had used to, to share Christ with him. And I'll go over that in just a moment. Um, and one by one by one, the whole family ended up coming to Christ. So you you reached Uncle Jack, and within two weeks, Jack had reached an entire family. Oh, he was already on fire. He was already talking to people about the Lord. You didn't have to tell him to do it. Man, he was excited about that. I mean, when you think about where he came from and what he had done— it was uh, revolutionary in his life. That's awesome. He wanted to, 
He wanted to reach as many people as he possibly could. And buddy, he went on. He had some rough edges. I don't know if he ever got rid of some of those rough edges. Because even after years of knowing the Lord, I'd go visit, spend time talking. And he would just start telling me some of the things he used to do and scare me to death. And I'm sitting there at the table with him. And I didn't know whether he's going to come across the table and get me. And he'd talk about how he's going to get a hold of me or twist him and he'd get him a hold of the throat. And, uh, I mean, he was, he was scary just to talk to. Jack, I remember he used to finish every conversation with the same phrase, whether it was before Christ or after Christ, he'd go, so I grabbed that sucker. And before Christ, (laughs) it would be like, I knocked his teeth out after Christ and I gave him a gospel track, you know? (laughs) And, uh, but he was one awesome individual that just like the apostle Paul, the same further he had in persecuting the church, he had afterwards in building the church. Yeah. That's he, it. That's exactly it, right. He took all that adrenaline that was used toward beating people up, my Uncle Jack, and turned and it towards it. leading people to Christ. So you, I, I use that term, the hand gesture, which was yeah. something that sounds, you know, if you're not in the in the club, it sounds like, what, what, which hand gesture are you talking about, right? But for yeah. us, we knew exactly because we saw it every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night at Christian Youth Ranch, which is the name of our youth ministry. Just for those who are watching, I know some will be listening, but can you just quickly uh, do the hand gesture so people could see and understand what you're doing? I think I remember it. Uh, in, in about two and a half months, I'll be 80 years old, and I'm still doing the same illustration I was doing when you first met me, yep. and that was uh, a couple years ago. But I usually say this, this hand, let it represent you and me, and this wah, cell phone, represent all of our sins. Well, the Bible says that God loves us, but he hates our sins. And because we've all sinned, we're all condemned. And the wages of sin is death, so that everybody sins, everybody dies. But to go to heaven, you have to be perfect as righteous as God, but nobody's perfect. So we've all come short of God's perfection. So the Bible says you cannot earn eternal life. You cannot work your way to heaven. So we need a Savior. Uh, This hand represents Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. He came into the world because he loves us, hates our sin because our sins separates us from him. So I can't get to him. He can't get to me because of sin. So Jesus Christ, who had no sin, didn't have to die. So he took all the sin of all the world, paid for it on the cross. Came back from the dead and said the only thing he wanted us to do about what he did was to believe he did it for us. And so I usually ask people, I says, isn't it true that you've heard all your life that Jesus Christ died on the cross and paid for all the sins of the world? And they say, yeah, I've heard that. I said, now think, if he paid for all the sins of the world, mine, yours, and everybody, Why do we have to go to hell and pay for sin if he already paid for it? So he loves us so much, he would rather die than live without us. So he went to the cross, paid for our sins, come back from the dead, and said the only thing he wanted us to do about what he did was believe he did it for us. So when we believe he did it for us, he puts that payment to our account, and I have a payment for my sins. So in reality, the reason that I can't go to hell today is I don't have any sins to pay for. The reason I can't go to hell in the future... Well, he paid for those too. So I asked a person, if that's all he asked you to do when he came back from the dead is to believe he did it for you, I said, can you handle that? And most of them said, yes, I can. Because all you had to do is believe it. And when you believe it, he gives you as a free gift eternal life. And you can know that you're going to heaven whenever you die because Christ paid for your sins. 
Five words, Christ died for my sins. Best illustration of what grace is, because that's what grace is. Christ died for my sins. And I'm going to heaven because of what he did. But the, the teenagers caught it. You can teach something, but they not get it. You can get it out, but not get it across. So, and so we majored in getting it across to kids. So that's, okay, let's kind of take a shift. By the way, if you're watching or listening to this, if you've never put your faith in Jesus, you never believed that he died for your sins and it arose again, Trust in him right now. Receive that gift of eternal life. It is a free, free gift. Yankee, you are what I call an OGG, the original gospel gangster. I mean, it, you're the one that trained uh, so many of us how to, how to share the gospel. And you talk about youth ministry. So you came to, you know, Arvada, Colorado, the suburb of Denver. And you really, you, you had a church, you had a youth group, but really... It was a youth group that you were there to fuel and to fund and to unleash. Why? Why? First of all, tell us a little bit about the youth group, Christian Youth Ranch, and why focus on teenagers and young people? I often had people tell me, said, Yankee, you need to reach the adult because that's who has the money. And I said, I'm never going to chase money. And that's not going to be the issue with me. And they said, well, you need to reach those adults. I said, yeah, I want to reach them, but I want to reach them while I can. And it's easier to reach them when they're teenagers because in just a few short years, they're going to be adults. Uh, a teenager, 14, 15, 16 years old, you figure in four, five, six years, they could be married and have kids. And I says, let's reach the kids before they become an adult, which makes it more difficult. And so I think people understood that. And I had some adults who came alongside because they had teenagers and they had problem kids. But Ranch did something for the teenagers. It gave them something to do because Ranch was the most exciting thing happening. Nothing was more exciting than our Ranch meeting. And when you say Ranch meeting, it's a teenage Bible study. But yes, I played the guitar. I played the banjo. I played the harmonica. But I did it just Good enough to lead the group. Others came along and they would follow. They'd get a guitar and I'd get about, you know, three or four guys that doesn't know how to play. And they would always stand at one side and I would always play this, most of the songs in the same key so they could follow. Because you've got to be copyable. You want to reproduce yourself. If I was to get up there and play it like Bob Daly does on the guitar, nobody would learn how to play because Bob is so advanced. But when you want to train somebody, you've got to get back to simple, basic things. And most of the teenagers, the guys anyway, they wanted to be just like me. And I'll say that in a polite, boastful way, but they wanted to be like me. They wanted to run a ranch. They can do this. They don't have to wait till they go to Bible college. They don't have to wait till they become, you know, a pastor or something. As a teenager, they can do something now and see people trust Christ as their Savior. And that's why it was such a wonderful thing for the Friday night soul winning. They don't have to wait to learn how to do all of this. Just... Take what so, you already know so, and go so winning. So every Friday night, there was a group of 50 to 100 of us that would go out. Yeah, you were one of I them. I was one of them. And we'd go separate out into shopping malls all across the Denver area, Westminster Mall, Cinderella City, all over. And we would share the gospel. So you trained us and equipped us. Why? Uh, why did you think that was so important, not just to give the gospel, because at Christian Youth Ranch, which is our youth group meeting, 
which were it had hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of teenagers go into that. But you also trained us how to share the gospel. Why, um, why train teenagers to reach teenagers for Christ? I believe that you will reach better your age and under. Whatever your age and under, you, be, you do better. And as you get older, your age and under. Well, when you got teenagers, they're usually easier to train. They're more eager to learn. And they can do a better job because some of those junior high kids, they didn't have enough sense to be afraid. They were just reckless abandonment to doing whatever you tell them to do, and they would do it. And so in the book of Psalms, the 40th Psalm, it talks about you have lifted my feet up out of the miry clay and established my feet and established my goings. See, when we talk about going into all the world and preaching God, it doesn't mean go to a particular place and do it there and go over this particular place and do it there. No, as you go, mm-hmm. as you go, win souls. As you go, you go to the shopping center, win people. You go to church, you can talk to people on the way. Go to get gas, you can talk to people. As you go, preach the gospel. And as you go, wherever it is in the world. So many people think you have to be that missionary to go to that particular spot. And sometimes, listen, if you're not a soul winner here, you're not going to be a soul winner there. And so crossing 3,000 miles of a body of water doesn't make you a soul winner. You need to do it where you are. And I wanted it to be something that the kids know how to do it now. And they have success now. Because doing it for the rest of your life, you have to have some successful past experiences. Mm. Let them have some success. And they can have success by bringing those kids in. They see them trust Christ as Savior. They brought them there. They knew they trusted the Lord. They see it. Then they want to get another one. Like that Lay's potato chips, you can't just eat with one. You got to get another one. Got to get another so, one. So, Yankee, just speaking again, kind of tying us back in with the book. You know, I'm this fatherless kid from North Denver. One by one, my my uncle Jack comes to Christ. My Bob, my uncle Bob goes all in. Uh, I come into Christian Youth Ranch. I, they kind of snuck me in underage. I was one of those with my cousins, Jackie and Tammy. Came yes, in you were underage, but you equipped us and you equipped me how to share the gospel. There was probably at one point a hundred students in the leadership team, that core team that you trained and equipped. I think it was on Sunday nights. We used to go and get trained Sunday nights. and equipped and we'd memorize and evangelism and apologetics and every camp that we did evangelism and apologetics. And, um, and I was trained and equipped and just speaking from that student perspective, I come into this place, not knowing my father, a lot of questions in my mind, this rough background. And all of a sudden, I have a purpose and a cause and a mission. And you made me feel central to the plan of God to reach my city for Christ. I remember you, you probably don't remember this, but you were walking down the hallway of uh, CBC and you had your Bible underneath your arm, that black leather, you know, old school filled reference Bible. You're walking fast. And God's going to use you to shake the world. You did. I remember telling you that. Man, <clears throat> I remember. And, and that so impacted me as a kid. And I figured you probably said it to all the kids all the time, but you believed it. You believed in the potential of young people to change the world. And a lot of the reason I'm doing Dare to Share today is because you became that a, a father figure in my life and somebody like a coach and somebody that said, man, you are central to the plan of God. And so 
everything that we're doing at Dare to Share, we've had arenas full of teenagers. Next week, we're going to have almost, we're, right now we have almost 1,300 churches across the United States that we're going to be training, God willing, tens of thousands of teens on November 13th how to share the gospel and mobilizing them to do it. It all goes back to the youth ministry I was raised in, Christian Youth Ranch, led by Yankee Arnold and your crew of unlikely misfits you know, that were all passionate about the gospel. So Think about this, Greg. <clears throat> your testimony and mine are not too much difference. See, I was raised also without a father. My daddy was a bootlegger and spent most of his life in the chain gang. And I never saw my parents in a church, never saw them read a Bible, never saw them have prayer. So I wasn't raised that way. I never heard John 3.16 until I'm 18 years old, living in good old Christian America. Mm. So, But I saw potential in every teenager. If God so loved the world, every individual has potential. So I didn't just focus upon the so-called sharp kids or the, the football players, the majorettes or whatever they are. I focused upon every kid. And even that kid that most people would say that, that they'll never amount to a hill of beans because I had them say that about me. So having that understanding that what happened to me, I wanted to admit, let everybody know God can use you. God can use you. It's not so much your ability, it's your availability. Mm -hmm. And take kids, and I would tell them, our youth ranch meeting was to draw in raw material into the Bible study. They could come any way they wanted. I never said anything. You can come any way you want. Just don't come naked. But when you come into ranch, it's open to all. And I wanted them to trust Christ as Savior. That was number one. Then I would have three camps a year, a summer camp, Christmas camp, and Easter camp. And those three camps a year is to try to get as many of those kids that trusted Christ to go to camp so they can dedicate their lives to the Lord. Then out of those who dedicate their lives to the Lord, to try to challenge them to go to Bible college. And that's why we had over 200 go to Bible college from our youth ranch ministry. Thank you. But see, when I had... Just, to, just real quick, do you remember the camps when at the last day of the camp, you would do a Bible quiz and kids could win money if they won yes. the Bible quiz. Do you remember? Do you remember <laughs> who won? You took most of my... You took most of my money. You and a girl named Jana Usselton. Yep. <clears throat> Y'all took me to the cleaners. Took you to the cleaners. Because you would always sit on the front row, and whenever I would start, you'd have to finish the verse or I'd, or tell me where it's found in the Bible. And you kids were fast. You could jump like you're sitting on a spring. And I could start a word or two words, and, man, you was up on your feet, and I, you'd have to quote the verse. And you could quote the verse, and you took me for a lot of money. I did. Yeah, I still think you. I still think you owe me. <laughs> but Yankee, those but you did that. And it was good. Those those trainings, uh, you know, equipped me to share the gospel and and many others, and put that gospel DNA. The way I've illustrated it before, is whatever you write into wet cement, when that cement dries, what you've written stays, and you wrote the gospel in the wet cement of my soul. And that has never left. And you've done it with so many others. And now I have the privilege of doing that with teenagers from across the nation around the world. So I'm so deeply grateful. Let's shift gears a little bit. Uh, let's talk about Uncle Bob. Uh, so I just saw Uncle Bob last week in uh, St. Louis. and uh, I haven't seen his picture in 40 years. But when he came out... <clears throat> 
and he got involved in their youth branch. He got involved in the the bus ministry. Now, do you remember? And he started. Do you remember he, why he came out? Do you remember he he got arrested because he beat a guy to death that stabbed his best friend five times, Doug Johnson, and stopped his heart. Uh, he got arrested, thrown in jail. They eventually resuscitated the guy, but in the back of the squad car, he dedicated his life to the Lord. And then after he was released the next day, because they brought the guy back, he started going to Colorado Bible Church and Youth Ranch. That's why he came out. But he took a bus route, and he got 100 on his bus route. And then he quit and went to Florida Bible College. Yep. But he did the job. Yeah, he did. And... Now to me, he was he was a little bit bigger than Jack. Yeah. Jack was Jack had more fire inside the man. Yeah. But he Bob was a he was Bob, giant. Bob was a giant man. Yeah, and is he was a big fella. Yeah, big fella. And it was good to see him the other, the other day, and that is that is so neat. I got so many precious memories, but the one that I'm more impressed with in your whole family, beside Jack, is your mom. Oh my goodness! Your your mom died probably within two or three months of my mother. Mm. And uh, your mother, I can see why your brothers were scared of her. Yeah. I was scared of her. I had one day, I had a guest speaker in church. His name was Hank Lindstrom. And I told the guy, you know, everyone's about to have a skit. I don't mind skits. But I didn't know what they were going to do. And all of a sudden, here comes Timo running in and another guy right behind, I think it was Emmanuel Martina. And he had a gun and he was going to shoot somebody. And uh, it was it was terrible. They're gonna. I think it was going to shoot me. And your mama was standing there, and she was right ready to take them both out. Oh yeah. She didn't know it was a skit. Yeah. But it was a skit. But your mama, <clears throat> she she struck fear in the hearts of many people. I remember one time. But she was. Uh, one time she met Mr. Newhart at a um, oh, yeah. at a teacher uh, parent teacher event. The first time he started teaching, because he was a shorter guy. She goes. Uh, what grade are you in? <laughs> and he goes, well, I'm, not, I'm a teacher. She goes, oh. She goes, you look like a kid. Oh, sorry. <laughs> she called him a little squirt. Yeah, a little squirt. And uh, <laughs> It's funny. But anyway, uh, your mama, I'm glad she knows the Lord and glad she went to be with the Lord in yeah. heaven. My mom and your mom's up there having a good time. You know. But we got a lot of work to do between now and the time we leave here. And I believe that God has spared my life mainly because I have stay clear and true to the gospel. And I just thank the Lord for the open doors that he's given to me. Yeah. And I couldn't do what I'm doing now if it had not been for, I got another young guy, uh, Jesse Martinez, that reminds me of you. And he loves the Lord and he's sharp and he's got a, a good mind on him and he's strong and straight on the gospel and God's going to use him in a great way. It. Well, Yankee. So, and I'm thankful to the Lord for all that he's done for you and through you and the lives that you have touched. I just hope I get a little bit of a, you know, interest off of. <laughs> I don't know if that'll, I don't know if that'll work or not, but um, you'll be anyway, you'll be filthy rich it. in heaven for sure. So, uh, which is where it counts. Thank you, Yankee, for uh, the impact you've had in my life and so many others. And uh, you always remind me to preach the gospel clear, to keep Christ and the cross central to the gospel, to never lose that gospel urgency. You've been. Faithful to your wife all these years and faithful to the call and the cause. And uh, 
there's no way I would have ever been able to write a book called Unlikely Fighter without Betty you. and I have been married going on 62 oh years. Oh, my goodness. That's awesome. 62 years. And it was her dad that led me to the Lord. And think, in 80 years, only one person has ever witnessed to me. Mm. I've been around the world. I've been all over the United States. Nobody's ever witnessed to mm. me except my father-in-law 62 years ago. He gave me the gospel, won me to Christ. And I believe soul winners. I know we have a lot of people, we talk about loving our first responders, you know, the firefighters and the policemen and the nurses. A soul winner is a first responder. He is really doing an awesome job because when you have, when life is all over, it's going to be that soul winner that snatched souls out of hell. And they made a difference and saved a lot of lives. So I have a lot of respect for soul winners, and you're one of them. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much, buddy. I love you, too. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in uh, to this mini-series on Unlikely Fighter. Pick up the book wherever books are sold. You can find it on Amazon. Uh, You can have it on Audible. I actually read it uh, on Audible. So uh, check the book out and um, see see the stories and read the stories. And hopefully— I'm still waiting on my book. Yeah, you're going to get yours. (laughs) All right. Thanks again. Thank you so much, Ray. Bye-bye.